All right, we're walking, uh, we're walking through the Lord's Prayer uh, and Christ's guidance on how to pray, how to ask, or at least His guidance on the things we should be asking for. So let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we'll be finishing up the Lord's Prayer as we've moved on to this final request for God to deliver us from evil. So let's, let's jump into the text now. Let's stand up and read uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And then we'll uh, work through more of understanding uh, the Lord delivering us from the evil that we face. Beginning in verse 9, Jesus teaches us this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, today we do ask that you would deliver us from evil. And that, Father, you would show us, uh, Father, both what our evil is that we're facing and, and how you have delivered us from it and will deliver us from it. Father, thank you for the great deliverance that you brought to us delivering us from the domain of darkness and putting us in the kingdom of your beloved son. We have sung today because we're in that kingdom. We're listening today because we're in that kingdom. We're worshiping today you and not the demons of this world because you have put us in your kingdom. And so we thank you, Father, and we pray that your kingdom would advance, that you would bring sinners to yourself. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're, we're looking at this, you know, being delivered from evil, being delivered from the evil one, and we're asking why, why, of all things, does Jesus end with this sort of, you know, horror movie sort of prayer, this last sort of, and deliver us from evil? Why is it such a concern for the believer that Jesus would add this of the seven things that we're to pray? Why would this be one of those things? And it's because the Bible tells us we're going to face a lot of evil. We're going to face a lot of it, both in terms of, quantity and quality, different types of evil and a lot of it. And so that, that, that's what we've been looking at. We're going to face this, this enemy of evil that is highly motivated against Christ and his church, a dragon that wants to eat the bride and her children. The Bible warns us about all these evils that we as believers will face, all the things I was debating whether or not I could deal with that for 50 minutes, and I finally said no. Uh, evils that we'll face, that, that, that we're not just going to go against, but, but, or this that we'll just run into, but evils that are going to come against us, evil that will pursue us, evil that wants, that wants us, that wants to overtake us, that wants to come against us. And so we looked at how the evil one himself, how Satan attacks the believer. We've looked at how the Bible tells us about how Satan attacks the believer. We don't even have to guess or speculate about what the devil would do. The Bible lays out for the church, this is what the evil one wants for you. We saw uh, not just the evil one, we saw the, the, the demons. We saw how he uses his evil angels that work as his messengers, carrying out his desires carrying out his will against Christ's church, deceiving the world. We saw that the world is filled with false religions. Why? That they are all demonic in origin. Then we started to look not just at the evil one and his work through the demonic, but we started to look at evil ones. 
the world. That the Bible tells us that anyone who does not have faith in Christ, who has not been rescued from the reality we all once were in, everyone who is not, does not have faith in Christ is at their core evil. That evil may not always be easily perceived by us. They're not always as evil as they could be in their actions. But that's where their heart is. Like we saw last week, that's what their heart is enslaved to. Just like our heart was once enslaved to. And that's what their lives will be filled with. And so in the last two weeks, we've, we've said, uh, you know, <laughs> we've said every religion other than Christianity is demon worship and every person who isn't a Christian is evil. Uh, so yeah, I expect Facebook to be taking down uh, our sermons anytime soon. Uh, but that's, that's the reality. The Bible has given us a pretty chipper assessment of the world around us. Pretty chipper assessment of what's going on in people who seem like good people in these religions that aren't Christianity. They're not good people and they're not in a good religion, even though it might, you know, provide them with good, quote, clean living. Last week, we specifically looked at the state of the world, of the people in the world and and how the Bible describes them. We saw the Bible describes people in the world as evil ones in the domain, the kingdom of darkness, that they are children of the devil, that they are agents of evil. So that's the state of everyone who's who's not a Christian. That's who they are. That's what they are. But, But here's the question now. What does the state of the world have to do with God delivering us from evil, delivering us from the evil one? What what does the state of the world matter for us as Christians? Okay, that's what the world is. That's how we need to understand those who are not among us. These are the the glasses, those things we looked at last week, those are the glasses we need to have when when we're looking at our neighbors and our coworkers and we're really trying to understand them. But how does all that translate in us needing to be delivered from them? You've showed me how to view my neighbors. How to understand what has them captive. How not to placate the reality of their enslavement to the demonic. How to see them in the desperate state they really are. That it does me and them no good to define them in a way contrary. And we've got to be very clear. You'd be defining them in a way contrary to how the Bible defines them. So I've got those glasses And I see them, and I see them for what they are. I see them for who they are and where they are. Now, why is it that I need to be delivered from them as they're out tending their garden and and watering their flowers and waving? Doesn't exactly look like I, you know, I'm not, you know, ready to pull my pistol, you know? How, How is it that that situation, that understanding them, how is that going to then become, deliver us from those people across the street? Deliver us from the guy in the cubicle next to me. Deliver us from the, you know, 700 friends on Facebook that I've got that I'm not even sure I know any of them. How's that going to happen? What's it going to be? What does this mean for us as Christians? We've determined that the world is evil, that the, the world is filled, not just the world in general being evil, but the people in it are evil. What does that mean for us? Just like with Satan and, the, and with the demonic, we need to be delivered from the evil world, from the, from the people of this world who do not believe in Christ, who do not hear his words, who live unrighteously. What is the state of this? Well, I think Proverbs tells us this in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. It says, the purpose in a man's heart 
is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Okay, so what someone is really desiring in their heart, it's hard for you to know. You can't know why someone is doing what they're doing, their purpose behind it. But a a man of understanding might know how to draw out their purpose, might know how to do things. I I use this verse a lot in counseling. This is one of the chief, I can't tell if people are lying to me, but I know things I can do to make it clear whether or not they're lying to me. I know the standards I can put before them that if they're really genuinely repentant, they will do the standard. If they don't do the standard, then they're not really repentant. But here, what we're going to see in this is God's going to use this. God's going to, today, we're going to use the wisdom of God to draw out what is really deep in the hearts of a world in rebellion to the Lordship of Christ. What is really going on in their hearts? We're going to get deep in the heart of the world around us. Those in the world who continue to reject the truth and exchange it for the lie, as Romans 1 says. Today, the God of understanding, as it says, a man of understanding can draw it out. Well, today, the God of understanding is going to lay out for us what is really in the heart of the unrighteous, specifically toward the Christian. So let's begin this week by looking into, today we'll look at the attitudes of evil ones, what's going on, the attitude sort of driving them. And next week we'll see the actions, how those attitudes are going to bear fruit specifically against the believer. And this is why we're going to need to be delivered from them. But we're going to get into the the attitudes that are sort of driving uh, their actions uh, next week. So let's do an examination of of the heart of the evil in this world, specifically their heart toward Christians. So what does what do what do the unrighteous what does the unrighteous world think of the Christian? What do they really think? I'm not not say, I'm not taking a poll. You know, I'm not a poll person. Uh, I'm not taking a poll. We're not you know going out and asking people. Hey, what do you really think of Christians? Because then we also know the Bible says, Hey, you really like to lie. So I don't know why I'm asking you for your you know uh, and think you're going to tell me the truth. Uh, but what does the world really think in their hearts? Deep in their hearts. What is the Lord of understanding going to tell us about them? The first thing we're going to see is that the world in their attitude is not neutral. They are our enemies. The world sees us as enemies. Although it is true that I could say they're enemies from our point of view. Today I'm focusing on how the world views us. Because that's what we're talking, because that's the focus of deliver us from evil. That, that there are those, not, not that, that, that we're against, but there are those who are against us. It's not just that we view them as on the wrong team. It's not just us going and saying, hey, the world is our enemies, and the world's like, oh, ecads are your enemies? Oh, no. That's not what's going on. It's not the world is going to be shocked by this. They will view us as enemies and come against us. The verse that could best sum up the two positions is Proverbs chapter 29, verse 27. Proverbs 29, 27 shows us the dichotomous relationship of everyone in this world. 29, 27, an unjust man is an abomination to the righteous. So we look at the evil and we go, enemies. But the one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked. So the wicked look at the righteous, look at the one who's straight and goes, enemy. 
abomination. Your straight life is an abomination to us. The wicked hate straight people. They hate people whose lives are straight, who go after the straight and narrow, who focus on righteousness. The wicked hate that. They always will. They will always prefer it when you have a bent and crooked path. Because to them, the straight is an abomination. The Bible talks about the Christian's relationship with the fallen world and says, look, because they view us this way, I was over and over going to tell, especially in New Testament church, hey, you're going to need to be delivered from these people. So what Jesus sets up in Matthew chapter 6, the rest of the New Testament writers are going to come and say, yeah, you've got to be delivered from this world. You've got to be delivered, again, not just from a general sort of aura of the world and, and, and making it sort of just a demonic, no, the actual people in the world, the actual people themselves. So look, for example, at 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 through 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. This is, man, this is a, such a great passage. You should tie this back to that prayer for delivering us from evil. Because you see all the, you see all the, the gamuts and, and, and sections and levels of evil that we're facing right, right here in this. And God's faithfulness and who we're going up against and why we're going up against them. What is Paul asking them to do? He says, pray for us. Pray for us. But how? Pray that the word would be effective. But also... Pray that we'd be delivered from evil people. And and Paul knows what we saw last week. I mean, when he says deliver us from, from wicked and evil men, he's not talking about some section of the world that is really wicked. And really, so when Paul says delivers from wicked and evil men, it's not like, okay, you've got us, and then you've got this general gaggle of neutral people, just sort of gray. Then you've got wicked men. Paul knows what we all know. When he says deliver us from evil and wicked men, he means deliver us from what? The rest of the world, because what? How does he define wicked and evil men? What does he say? Because all do not have what? Faith. Paul knows what we know, that that world without Christ, a world without faith in Christ, is at its root evil. That's the side they are on. So they will always be in opposition to what Paul has wanted, the effective movement of the world, the word. They're in opposition to that. They're in opposition to the work of the gospel. Why? Because they are in the domain of darkness. And so they'll always be adversaries to the advancement of the kingdom of God. Because what's God's word doing? As God's word is going out and the disciples are doing what they were called to do, which is to make disciples of the nations. And the nations are sitting themselves enslaved to the the demons behind their idols. Those demons and the people enslaved to those demons will not like it. As the kingdom advances, the world is never just going to watch as mere spectators. Because they're not mere spectators. They are worshipers and the kingdom of Christ is killing their gods. And so they will always see Christians and the advancement of Christianity as an enemy advancement. They will always be in opposition to it because they are in the domain, in the kingdom, under the power of darkness. 
And notice, like we saw in verse 3, notice there that Paul equates what the evil men are doing as being delivered from the evil one. Because just like we talked about, to be delivered from evil men is to be delivered from evil, uh, the, the evil one. Because like we saw you know, last week and two weeks before that, that's who's stirring up the evil men. That's who's who's going to stir up these wicked and evil men? Well, it's the evil one. That's why it says delivers from these evil men. And by doing that, because they don't have faith, but who is the one stirring up these people without faith, these evil people who do not have faith in Christ? Who's stirring them up to oppose the gospel? Well, in the end, ultimately... It's the evil one. And like we saw last week, they're, they're merely his agents because they're under his domain. They're in his kingdom. They're under his power, enslaved to the demonic. And so he stirs them up against the kingdom of Christ. So when we pray, deliver us from evil, Paul very much put that same language to talk about needing to be delivered from the evil people in the world. Again, not just a generic evil But the evil people in this world who will stand in opposition to the advancement of the gospel, not just in this world, but in your life, in your life, they will not like the kingdom of Christ advancing in their community and they will not like the kingdom of Christ advancing in you. They will not be happy that your life is becoming more straight. The unjust are not going to like it that your life is becoming more straight. That your life is becoming more upright. The more straight your life becomes, the more of an abomination your life will be to them. And they might pretend like they're happy for you. They might, because they've got some sense of decorum. Some of them will, some of them won't. Some of them will not pretend at all and they'll send you random Facebook messages. They'll pretend like they're happy. But at their heart, we need God to deliver us from this world. Because the people who do not have faith will find the advance of Christ in you and through you an abomination. And they will stand against it. And not just in opposition, but against you. So that you will need to be delivered from them. They will go on the offensive against what they find offensive in you. We're going we're gonna, to, that makes me want to jump into the sermon from two weeks from now, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, but this isn't, the, this isn't the only place. This isn't the only place that Paul talks about being delivered, not just from the evil one, but from evil people doing the evil one's work. Look at Romans 15. Romans 15, where the same thing. Paul's going to pray be, to be delivered from these evil ones, and he's asking others to pray for him for that same deliverance. Okay, so Romans 15, down in verse 30. Romans 15, go down to verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. And what are they striving for? What is the thing that says, look, join me in striving for this, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So Paul, Paul knows what his battle is. He knows what his battle will be and who it will be against. And Paul is so sure of the conflict of the gospel with the evil. And again, how does Paul define the evil ones? He just says unbelievers, those who do not believe. Like he said, like he said those who do not have faith. We've seen already, those who do not have faith in Christ, those who do not believe, they're, they're still enemies. They're enemies of the gospel and they're enemies of the gospel's people. They're enemies of the bride and they're enemies of her children. Enemies of the woman, enemies of her children. 
And Paul's so sure of this conflict with the evil world that he asked the church in Rome to pray, to strive together in this particular prayer. Of all the things he can go to Rome and say, hey, pray hard for this. Because this is what I know I'm going to face. This is what I know I'm going to deal with. That Paul would be delivered from the evil. It's that last line of the Lord's Prayer. That he comes and says, of all the things I could ask you to ask God on my behalf, ask him that I'd be delivered from these evil ones. Ask him that I'd be delivered from these, these unbelievers that are in Judea. Ask him for that. Strive, join me in striving for that. And why would Paul think, why would Paul think that that's what he'd deal with? Because Paul didn't just deal with this in a, in a theoretical level. Paul didn't just think, oh, I know because I know who they really are. So you've got to understand, since I know who they really are, I know what they're going to do. No, Paul had lived this. Paul had gone through it multiple, I'll just give you one example, but multiple times in Paul's life, he'd already had to be delivered from the hands of the evil world. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 11 through 13. He talks about my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. In Greek, it's actually the same word delivered. The Lord delivered me. This is one of the ways you would change it. Uh, the Lord delivered me. So you can remember, the Lord answered that prayer. He answered the Lord's prayer for me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people, evil men, and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So Paul says, I've had to be delivered from evil ones a lot. A lot. It it happened in multiple places, multiple times. But the Lord always did what? The Lord always delivered me. He always did. And it's this this realization that the world is full of evil people, that that, that it's because of that, that Paul will call to Timothy and tell Timothy... Look, all because the world is going to be, because it's not just, it's not just Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, but because the world is filled with all who do not believe in Christ, who are unbelievers, who do not have faith, because the world is filled with them right now. Anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, why, why does Paul know that? Because Paul has read Proverbs 29, 27. Because Paul knows the wicked have always hated the life of the godly. This isn't something new. This isn't something out of the blue, right? It's not, I mean, you can go back to Genesis and see that Sodom and Gomorrah were not very appreciative uh, of the godly life uh, being lived amongst them uh, as righteous Lot was being plagued every day. But it's this realization that the world is filled with this. That Paul can say, look, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecuted by whom? Persecuted by whom? Not persecuted by the evil one. Not persecuted by demons. Although those are certainly true. That's not what he says here. Persecuted by whom? The evil people of the world. Those in the world without Christ. So when talking about the the people in this world, when talking about those uh, without Christ, the Bible does not place them as sort of neutral observers. The Bible talks about them as hostile combatants. 
and says that believers need to be delivered from them. So we saw who the evil world was. We, we see our neighbors for who they are. We see our co-workers who are still sitting in evil under the sway of it, in the domain of it. And we've got to recognize that. We've got to see them. And even if they're smiling in their Facebook pictures and sending wonderful photos of their kids and everyone looks happy and they're all, we know what's in their heart. And that's, that's not prideful to say we know what's in their heart because our knowledge is not coming from us. Our knowledge is coming from their creator who says, this is what's going on in their hearts. The pride would be for us to say, that's not what's going on in their hearts. That'd be the pride. I remember when I would talk to the people at the abortion mill and I would tell them about how hopeless and helpless their life has to feel without Christ and how they've got no joy, no peace. And I'll say, who are you? You know, you don't know that. And I was like, no, but your God does. He said, how dare you think you know who I am and what I am? I don't, but I know the word of God knows who you are. And either you're hearing me say this and I'm wrong. And you are at peace and you are happy. And the word of God is wrong and I'm wrong. Or you know we're right. And you're wondering how this redheaded man from Beggs, Oklahoma, knows who you really are. And he's telling you it's because he's read from the God of the Bible and he's told him who you are. The world knows. The world knows. And they're rejecting him because of that. They are standing in opposition, not just to Christ. They're standing in opposition to you because you are Christ's. And they will see your life as an abomination. And you will need to be delivered from from them to the point that you need to strive in prayer for one another. That you might be delivered from them. This is not a one, needing to be delivered from the evil ones is not some one-off occurrence. It is not some ultimate experience. This is what you need to pray every day. Deliver us, deliver us from evil. But... Why do these believers need to be delivered? Why do we need to be delivered from these evil ones? What is the relationship of the world to the church? And we saw a little bit about this when we looked in Proverbs uh, 29. But here we're going to see the reason we need to be delivered is because the world hates us. The world hates us. The world hates believers. They hate Christians. They don't just hate Christ. They hate you. Unless you're not living a Christian life. If, you're, if your life is crooked and not straight, they might be okay with you. If you're not living for God's glory in your life and you're kind, of, you're kind of waffling on all these other issues and things and trying to look like them, well, they're going to be fine with that. They're going to pat you on the back. There'll be no one that'll pat you on the back more for your sin than a lost person who will tell you, hey, you're doing fine. I actually think you're great. But the world actually, if you're living on the straight, if you're living, if you're living Godward, the world will hate you for it. Where do we see that? First John chapter 3, 12 and 13. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So notice, this isn't, this isn't the need to be saved from sort of theological idea of a fallen world. This is the need to be saved from the actions of a fallen world. Here, the world isn't just some sort of created realm. It's the people in it. The world is filled with Cain's. 
We saw last week, those who are not of Christ are of the evil one. We saw earlier in, in Proverbs 29 that they, the reason they hate us is because their deeds are evil and ours are righteous. So they hate us for it. And so we, who are not of the evil one, shouldn't act like those who are. In the world, like we saw last week, that's in the evil one. So they, like Cain, they hate those whose lives are righteous. We hate that, which remember is like we saw last week, how God defines the good. The good are those who, who, not, only, who not only believe in Christ, but who have done good. That's who, those who go, don't go to the resurrection uh, of judgment, but to the resurrection of life. Those who have done good because God has made them good. The good, if they are truly good, will live good lives. And those who are of the evil one, which is again, everyone who isn't in Christ, will hate them for it. They'll all be like Cain. Cain was not a, Cain, there was nothing special about Cain. Nothing special about his hatred for the righteousness. Like Proverbs is going to say, this is just a, this is just a truth for, for the world. Like John says, this is, this is, you live in this world, so don't be surprised. Look, if, if it was just Cain, then you should be surprised if you happen to walk upon a Cain in your life. If you go and so, you go, I think that person hated my righteousness. I think that was a cane. You know, oh, that's surprising because there are billions of people and you met Cain? Yeah, yeah, I did. Must be really li- I must be really living right. No, Paul, Paul, your John says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that not just Cain, but the world hates you. Don't be surprised by that fact. Why? Because what's he saying? Because they've hated the righteous since the beginning. And again, unless we think that the world has somehow had some sort of silent great revival and all the things that God says about the world and how they feel about the righteous, they're suddenly not true today in 2022. Either everything God has always said about the world is true or something happened to change all of it. You don't know what it is and we don't know, but I'm pretty sure the people I know that aren't Christian aren't like that. This is how the world always has been, which is why we shouldn't be surprised. Why we shouldn't be surprised that the world hates us, because it always has. It's been true in Genesis, it's true in Proverbs, it's true in John, first John, and it's true today. The world hates the righteous. Although, although, again, the world might appreciate the, the sort of general, general morality of the Christian world, right? The, the lost world will continue to want Christian babysitters and Christian workers and, and stuff like that. They will appreciate that they can hire someone who goes to church at, your church at First Baptist. All right, sweet. So they're not going to steal from us. All right, that's good because 30 other people that are hired, guess what? They have. You know, they're going to like Christian babysitters because they're not going to be worried about the weird stuff they're showing their kids on their cell phones when they're gone. Like those sorts of things. They like that. They like that. They want that. But their underlying general attitude toward the Christian is one of hatred. They want to use you, but then they want you to die after you're useful. And look at the level of hate that John warns about. What does he say? Because they hate. So not only should we not be surprised when they hate us, we should, because when he says, don't be surprised when they hate you, what sort of actions was he just talking about come out in their hatred? What sort of actions did Cain do? And then he, tells the, then he tells the believers, and don't be surprised that the world hates you. Don't be surprised that the world wants to do those things to you. What did Cain want to do 
Because he was in the evil one and because he hated righteousness. What did he want to do? He didn't just want to unfriend and block them. He didn't just want them to be canceled. What did he want them? He wanted them murdered. He wanted them killed. He wanted to do evil to them. So not only should we not be surprised when they hate us, we shouldn't be surprised when they want to commit acts of hatred. Cain's hatred for Abel and his righteousness was not just a theoretical hatred. It was a hatred that took action. And it's after just telling, just telling the church about the actions that Cain took against Abel that he then tells the, the church, don't be surprised when the world hates you. And if they hate you, this is what they're going to want to do to you. So don't be surprised by it. Now, again, this doesn't mean that all of the world is all of the time going to hate all of the Christians with absolute highest level of hatred we could find. This doesn't mean that right now we had to, you know, sort of put up uh, bulletproof doors and everything to get the worship in because they found out we're worshiping the Lord God here and they're, you know, foaming at the mouth like, like some sort of evil zombie horde ready to break in at any moment. It doesn't mean the world will be as evil as they could be all the time because Cain didn't murder Abel the first day, right? No, and he says, don't be surprised when the world's going to hate you. The world, hey, don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised by what they're going to do. They haven't done it yet. Don't be surprised when it happens. In other words, they haven't seen the murder yet. They haven't seen these things yet. Don't be surprised when they do these things, though. It does mean, so although it doesn't mean that the, the world, is, that all of the world is going to, all of the time, hate all Christians, the absolute total hatred that you could ever do. It does mean that those without Christ, for those without Christ, your good life will never be anything but unpleasing to them, no matter what they say to you. Your life will always be unpleasing to them. It will always be, like Paul tells in, in Corinth, it will always be the stench of death to them. And it, I don't know if you've ever been around someone who smelled like death. You never get used to it, right? You're never like, you know what? That ain't so bad. Uh, you know, you have something dead in your car and you can't find it. You're not eventually like, you know what? I think I could live with this. I mean, you're pulling down headrests and you're, you're emptying everything out and eventually you just set the thing on fire and tell insurance you don't know what happened. Uh, no, you, you're doing whatever you can to get rid of that smell. That's what your life will be, is and will be to the lost world. In fact, if your life doesn't stink to them, the problem isn't them. The problem isn't that they've turned a new leaf. The problem is that you haven't. The problem is that you're not living like Christ. The, the, the change isn't them. The change is you or maybe the lack of change. Your life will always, your good life will always be unpleasing to them. So don't be surprised, as, as John says, don't be surprised when they hate you nor when they want to act out that hatred. But again, that's not shocking. Uh, the evil uh, in this world uh, don't just hate you. The good news is you're not special. Uh, the good news is the reason you shouldn't be surprised that the world hates you is that the world really hates everyone. Right? The world hates everyone, even one another. So Titus chapter 3 verse 3 says this. For we ourselves were once foolish, 
disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. So here Paul is describing our life before our hearts are changed. And how is it described? We're, we're not just foolish and, and dumb. We're not just deceived and, and slaves like we saw before. What are we doing? We're passing our days. You know, walking in the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the ones still working sons of disobedience. What sort of walking are we doing? We're walking, passing our days in malice and envy, hating everybody, hated by everybody, and hating everybody. That's the life of those without Christ. It is a life of hatred. Now, it's a life of special hatred for the Christian. But it's not surprising that the world hates us, not because the world has always hated Christians. But it's not surprising the world hates us because the world hates everybody. It's a world full of hate. They hate you and they hate each other. This is why the world is scared that Thanksgiving is coming up. Uh, because they're going to have to sit around a table with a bunch of people. They hate. This is why the world is filled with memes about, isn't it horrible to be around family? And you're like, I love my family. You know, and you're like, oh, I don't, why would that be horrible? Because they hate each other. Because they all hate each other. They hate you. They hate one another. And they're hated by those same people. It is a world filled with hatred. This is, this is why the love of the gospel is so shocking to the evil world. And, and why our love for one another is going to show them there's something different about what's going on with Jesus. Because, because the, the, the world out there, they can only mime love. And people are like, are you telling me, you telling me they, don't, they don't love, there's no love? Yeah, I'm telling you, they don't love each other. There's no love. No love. They've never loved anyone. They've never done anything but hate each other. But they did this. But they bought this. But they bought clothes for the whatever. And they did food for the... They, they, they hate it. They hate, 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 hate. They can do actions that on the outside seem good, but they are driven by hearts of hate. Unless you have something that uh, is a second uh, uh, set of scriptures that we don't know about. They say, no, 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 no. What's really going on? Actually love. They're actually really sweet and kind and good people. Or else they hate each other. And their actions are filled with hatred. It's who they are. It's what they do. The world, the world is going to look at Christians and know there's something different because they've never been able to do anything other than mime love. Never actually experienced it. Never actually lived it. Never tasted it. The world, those without Christ, the evil in this world, they live their lives in a, in a general malaise of hatred. So, of course, they're going to hate those who do good. Hate those whose lives are filled with righteousness and with the fruits of that. Joy, peace, love. They're going to hate you for having that when their life has been nothing but ashes in their mouth. We need to be delivered from the evil world because... Though they hate everyone, their hate will be especially focused on uh, the Christian. Uh, And last, why do we need to be delivered from them? Uh, Because they love evil. The world hates uh, hates, uh, us or hates you. They're your enemies. They hate you. You need to be delivered from them because they hate you and they love evil. Evil. It's important for us to understand that we should be aware or beware uh, of our associations with the wicked precisely because the wicked love evil. The reason you've got to be careful about associating, like we saw, we saw this in Joshua when he's like, look, 
Don't marry them. Don't hang out with them. Don't, don't become like them. Have nothing to do with them. The reason he says that is because the dangers for them were not just dangers that you had to deal with, you know, in the time of conquest back then. That's, that's the only time the lost world could ever have those temptations for believers. It's still true today. The, the world, those who God has not destroyed, who's driven, even those you've driven out are still there in your life. Like those people still, they hate righteousness, they hate God, and they love evil. And so you need to be aware of that and be careful because one of the ways you need to be delivered from evil is they will try to get you to like evil too. We'll see it specifically next week. But look at what, the, what, what it says, Proverbs 21.10. The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. So the evil desire evil from their very souls. And here it's not even, not even just a Christian neighbor that should expect no mercy. It's any neighbor because again, they, they all hate each other. Uh, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the way of evil. From men, so here again we see when talking about evil, the Bible is clear. When I'm talking about evil in general, theoretically, we're talking about people. From men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. So the evil world, they're in the domain of darkness. And like we saw last week, they're not there unwillingly. They like it there. They enjoy the environment. They forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So the evil, they forsake right. They forsake the right in favor of darkness. They rejoice in doing evil. They even delight in how wicked it is. I mean, there's a reason that our world loves how wicked they can become. There's a reason that our world will clap for things like drag queen story hour. I think that is just the neatest thing. Why? Because they're rejoicing in the perverseness of it all. They're rejoicing in people who should certainly not be celebrated and are lucky to be alive. Who are seeking to pervert children. And the world will look at that and say, yes. And we go, yeah, that's exactly what Proverbs said they would do. So Proverbs says they've always done. Your age today is not special. It's not special. It's what the evil have always done and always wanted to do. And as wickedness increases, so will the wickedness they do. And so will their joy in doing it. And they will see how far and how wicked you will let them be. And the rest of the world will rejoice. Isaiah chapter 32 verses 6 and 7. For the fool speaks folly and his heart is busy with iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied, to deprive the thirsty of drink. As for the scoundrel, his devices are evil. He plans wicked schemes to ruin the poor with lying words. Even the plea of the needy is even when the plea of the needy is right. So the wicked are never idle. They busy themselves with evil. Even going to the one who is hungry, not letting him be satisfied. Keeping it. Letting the poor starve. Watching them starve. Doing nothing about it. Even when they're right. So even he's saying, look, there are times when the needy uh, should not be needy. And their need is wrong. But there are times when their need is right. And the wicked will love to let them starve. 
And they will love being busy with, with iniquity. They will love to practice ungodliness. And their hatred will be so hateful that they will be able to even look at a poor person starved to death and be moved to do nothing, even be moved to remove the help to watch them die. That's the evil that they will devise. That's the level of evil to watch another human being starve to death and do nothing. Those without Christ do not just do evil, they desire evil. Again, their hearts aren't just metaphorically enslaved to evil, they're genuinely enslaved to it. So, here is why Jesus is telling us, we need to pray to be delivered from the evil ones because they like to do evil things, especially to Christians. So if we're going to understand our prayer for our Father to deliver us from evil, we have to get to the heart of evil, or in this case, the heart of the evil ones of this world. The Bible gives us a window. The God of understanding, a man of understanding might draw it out. The God of understanding makes it clear. He lets us see deep into the hearts of people. You might never be able to see deep into their hearts because they're already saying, yeah, I don't believe in Christ. Well, how am I going to get what's really going on in your heart when you already told me your heart's evil? Like, how evil is your heart? How evil are we talking about? You know? Give me a level, like one to ten. I'm about a three of evil. Okay, I feel safe around you. How about you, smiling guy? I'm a nine. Okay, all right. That's, even, that's pretty bad. I didn't expect that. But God lets us see in. He lets us see the heart, not just of certain evil people, but of everyone without Christ. Those who do not have faith. Those who live unrighteously. And this is what is. What is the attitude of the world toward us? They see us as their enemies. They hate us. Because they hate everyone, especially the righteous. And they love evil. That's the attitude of this world. That's just not who they are. That's what's going on in their heart. Last week, we looked at who they were. This week, we see what's going on in their hearts. And next week, we'll see how those attitudes are going to turn into actions. Now, John already warned us about not being surprised by these actions. We're going to see the actions that are going to take place next week and how we need to be delivered, not just from the hatred of the way like they don't like us, but from the actions that they're going to do for the believer. But right now, let's look at a couple uses of this. Uh, I'll move some of these uses to next week because they're applicable there too. Uh, But just a couple of things to to take from this to make sure we understand, okay, what do I do with this passage? What do I do with this? Uh, First, we've got to understand the combative relationship we will always have, not just with the world, but with those in the world. The the evil people in this world will never be neutral to you. And you've got to understand that's one thing that the Bible is making very clear to us. And and that includes the individuals that that are in your life. They, They are against you. Again, they may act like they are not. They might even believe that they are not. But at their core, they lie in the evil one, and he will stir them up against you. So if this world is not being combative against you, that doesn't mean you need to think that the people out there who are not against you are sort of fighting, you know, on your behalf. When you understand, oh, they're all against me. They're all at their heart not neutral, they're on the side of the evil ones. You need to be, that's the second thing, which is you need to be careful. You need to be careful 
Like, it's hard to read Joshua 23 and about interactions with the, you know, the, the Jebusites and the Malachites and, and think that God was saying anything other than, you know, oh, I think you just, just go over and, and hang out with your Jebusite friends. We need to be careful, and that means if, if, if the people in this world are our enemies, we must be intentional in our relationships with them, never just casual. If you have relationships with those who are not believers, you must be careful and you must be intentional. In the same way you would be careful or intentional if someone you knew was an enemy was sitting right next to you in the pew or in your home. The awareness that this person is my enemy, though they are not outwardly showing the animosity, would not change the fact that you realize this person is, even if a stranger walked into your home, if a stranger walked into your home, you would say, you would not say, here, sit by my wife and children, right? I'll be back. I'm going to go tend the cows. I will be back in an hour. Enjoy freedom with my wife and children. You wouldn't say that. Even a stranger, you do nothing about. This world are your enemies. They send against you. Stand against your Christ. So be intentional. I'm not saying withdraw. We're not talking monasticism here. We're recognizing the kingdom advances in your combat against them and against the kingdom of darkness. So be intentional. Every time you're with someone who is evil, you must see it as combat, not as fellowship. Every time you're with someone who does not have faith in Christ, you walk into that conversation ready for battle. You never just casually walk in. There is no DMZ in your life. There's no DMZ, no safe space where evil's not going to rear its head, where I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and push the gospel on you. You're not going to push your evil back on me. There's no DMZ. You're always at war. Every interaction with someone who is not a Christian is a time of combat. You be on the offensive because they will be. Be on the offensive. Proclaim the kingdom of light. But it is combat. It is not fellowship. What does 2 Corinthians tell us? What fellowship can light have with darkness or Christ with Belial? And we've seen that everyone who isn't with Christ is with Belial. You can have no fellowship. You can have any real fellowship with them. You have no real fellowship with someone who does not know Christ. So if you're in that relationship with them, you're not fellowshipping with them. So what are you there for? What are you there for? It had better be to win them to the kingdom of the Son. For their sake and your sake. Because if you're not, they are trying to win you to the domain of darkness. They are trying to crooked up your path. See it as combat. Be intentional. Take the war to them. Because they know they're at war with you. The only way to have fellowship with them is for their old selves to die in Christ and for them to be born anew in your family. You want a fellowship with them? Good. Kill them. Kill them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pull them from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. Otherwise, you have no real fellowship with them and they are dying. And you're fellowshipping with a dead man or a dead woman. And you're smiling and you're laughing and you're sharing pictures and you're doing whatever while they die. And you don't have the common decency, the common decency to drive back against the forces of evil that hold them in their domain to whom they are enslaved? Be intentional with every relationship because the devil is going to be intentional 
in their relationship with you. And to stir them up against you, even if it's something as simple as crookeding up your path. It may not be murder. It may be something even worse. It may be just leading you to sin and unrighteousness, which I would rather die. I would rather they killed me than for them to convince me to live contrary to the Lord my God. Murder, murder would be a grace. We'll talk about how Christ is going to bridge these next week. We'll talk about how Christ alone is the hope. We'll talk about how love is going to answer their hatred. We'll talk about the power of love in a world of hate. We'll look at all that. And remember, that's, so as, we're looking at, as we're looking at the evil world, remember how you got where you are. You love because he first loved you. You love because he pulled you out of the domain of darkness and put you in the kingdom of his son. You love because someone went to war with who you were and shared the gospel of Christ with you. And that gospel killed the old Jew and made you a new creation, pulled you from the domain of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of light. And you look at that moment, you look at that sword that plunged into your heart, the word of God that pierced your joint and marrow, soul and spirit. And you see that and you realize for the beauty that it was, the thing that you might've hated at the time, but you love today. Remember that when you go into combat with those who hate you, the most loving thing you can do is to kill them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But don't be deceived. They want to kill you. Let's pray. Father, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil in this world, from men, uh, wicked and evil men who do not have faith. From the unrighteous, the unbelievers. We realize, Father, we're at war. We're at war with everybody who doesn't know you. Everybody who is rejecting you as their king and bowing knees to demons. Exchanging the truth that they know to be true for the lie. Just as they worshiped wood and stone. And the gods that stand behind them. Father, we know that's who we're at war with. And we need to be delivered because who are, who are we to go up against such an enemy, such a foe? Deliver us, Father, from any of their plans, from any of their schemes. Keep us safe. When the evil one and his minions stir them up to do evil actions against us, keep us safe. Whether it be murder or simple temptation, keep us safe. Deliver us. Give us the wisdom to see them for who they are and give us the love for them and the love for you that would look at them as as image bearers of you and would say, just as the, it, is, it is a horrible wickedness to look at the, the needy and let them perish, it would be a horrible thing to sit with my lost friend, to message them, communicate with them, talk to them, be with them and watch them die. Father, let me not hate them like that. Help me to be delivered from evil by 
loving these image bearers of you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Going to war with them to where they either die in this world and are born to new life or they run from your gospel and face judgment to come. But let them not go, having never seen the steel of the gospel of Jesus Christ wielded on my lips and in my life. In the lips and life of all of us in here. And may our love for you drive us never look at a person and just be okay with them belonging to the domain of darkness. May we never be okay with a marred image of you, with someone sullying your name with an image bearer of our God living in sin and in the domain of darkness. We'll never be okay with that. Not just because we love them, but because we love you. Father, be with us. Give us wisdom to see these things. Help us to understand the world that we're in and Father, deliver us from it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.